Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast, where we open our Bibles and talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth we find there. I'm your host, Amanda Bible Williams. And I'm your other host, Rachel Myers. Guys, we are in week two of our study of first, second, and third John. We are so excited to get to be with you this week. Just a reminder, we are recording these a couple of weeks in advance. So we are doing our best to record on Zoom right now, which is a fun challenge, and we're thankful for the technology. But also, whatever we say in this episode, just know that we are talking about what is going on in our present lives, and we're trying to also accommodate what the world might look like when you in the future, listen to this. Guys, here's what's true. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This episode is all about love, and we're so excited to get into this with you. Let's go. So Rachel, I'm really impressed with you. I had oh, no yes, idea you knew every word to love is a verb. That was me. <laughs> I do know all the words. And our listeners may not have the benefit of what just happened, but I did just do the entire rap and a little bit of emotions because you can't rap without really getting into it. And it's been recorded sure. on our Zoom call. So you're welcome mm. for that, John. Yep, it's great. It's our professional environment that really brought it out. So Rachel rapping on air feels like the perfect segue into reading the first day's reading for this week because last week, so if you were with us last week, we read through the first three chapters of the book of First John. And because these are short books, we have the opportunity to actually read the scripture and respond here on the episode. So I think we should do that. But I'm looking down at my study book for day eight, First John chapter four, verses one through 19, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So it's not exactly mm. light reading, but this is what I love about reading scripture aloud with with others is that I'm not alone when I read perhaps parts of scripture that are intimidating to me. I like having buddies reading with me where we can talk about this and kind of dig in because God's word is true. We don't have to fear. We don't have to be afraid of it. So Amen. I think we should just dive in guys, unless Man, Rachel to kick wants us to off. rap first. Oh, you know what? I don't need to rap and that's fine. Thank you for that invitation. Okay. Well, um, I just want to make sure um, that, you know, it's an open invitation anytime. Noted. You know what? I'll just take you up on that sometime. But verses seven and eight that we're about to read are a song that I learned as a kid. And so I can't help but like sing it in my head as you read. So I'll keep that to myself, but I bet I'm not alone <laughs> that there are other people who know that song too. Anyway, read for us. Okay. Chapter four, verse one. Here we go. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They Amen. are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. Amen. And I know we have more to read for today for this day eight reading, but that's so beautiful and yet mysterious to me. 
we talked a little bit last week about Antichrist because it's the kind of thing that we want to just like brush right past because it feels mysterious to us and it's tough to understand and it's definitely uncomfortable. But John, I appreciated your sort of explanation of what that actually means. And it might be helpful for anyone who didn't hear last week's episode, just to give us a little like, help us out. Yeah. So I'm realizing just now that, you know, what we said last week, it might've sounded like I was saying that, you know, there's no antichrist at the end of history. And, you know, depending on your you know theological tradition and what you believe about, you know, the end times. Um, would that be antichrist with like a capital A? Right. As and opposed so that's how some to would antichrist. Make, right. This figure at the end of the age that many people think, you know, corresponds with the beast in Revelation or things like that. Right. We're not going to get into all that. But here, because what's we're is not, talking about the lowercase right, antichrist. This is not capital A, the, this is lowercase yeah. A. John is addressing people, addressing a church where people have left and it actually become opposed to Christ. They've become opposed to the gospel, so they are antichrist. And so he's talking here about this spirit of antichrist. It's this kind of spirit that is at home in the world, and it is opposed to Christ. So it's a scary word we see, we're like, ooh, antichrist. But really what he's just saying is like, hey, anybody... Anybody who is opposed to Christ, that's the spirit of Antichrist. He gets more specific here. He says, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So again, we're trying to piece together the situation, and it seems like these people who left, one of the heresies that they were touting was that Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh, that the incarnation was an illusion or, you know, we don't know exactly. In later church history, we learn there's a there's a heresy called Gnosticism that this is a part of. We think this is too early to be true Gnosticism, but it's sort of an earlier proto-Gnosticism where one of the tenets is that the flesh is evil. So Jesus, if he's, you know, if he's the son of God, there's no way he came in the flesh. It must have been an illusion. It must have been just that he seemed to be human. And we know that's not true. That's heresy. It's interesting also, you know, last week we talked about how John, the author of these books, also authored the Gospel of John in Revelation. And We've seen so many connections among those books, specifically among the gospel and the three letters. But I noticed um, just now, Amanda, as you were reading, where it was talking about, you know, that the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, even now is already in the world. But the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. It immediately made me think of John 16, 33, when Jesus is talking to his disciples and says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And in both of these, and here in First John chapter 4, we're hearing that there is indeed trouble. There are people who are anti-Christ. That is a fact. But the greater fact is that I am greater than he who is in the world, that I have overcome that. And so that echo, I just, I know we play the game, is the thing that we remember is that part of the secondary reading for the day? And it's not, so I didn't win a prize. <laughs> but maybe you win an even better prize if you can think of one that's not in the secondary reading. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. These supplemental readings are by no means exhaustive. There's plenty of other connections yeah, sure. that we could have done. Yeah. The mysterious part of this to me is this acknowledgement that the spiritual realm is not limited to what we can see. You know, that there yeah. is the spirit of deception in this world and then the spirit of God. And once again, to know one from the other comes back to, just like we talked about last week, here in verse six, we are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us and anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. Knowing God is the key here. You know, that yes, 
this is, we are talking about the vastness of the spiritual realm and truth versus lies. But the way that we know truth is we know God and we know Jesus. And for us, that's why we're so passionate about knowing scripture, because that is Mm -hmm. a primary way for us to know God. And so that's why Mm -hmm. we're so passionate about staying in scripture daily so that we can know the truth. Yeah, that word know is, I mean, obviously throughout scripture, but specifically throughout these three letters. And even if you go back to last week's reading in, I think, 1 John chapter 2, in verse 3, it says, this is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. And it uses that word know over and over again, right in that little section. And so I looked it up and I was like, okay, like, let's see, like, what is in the context of scripture? Like, what does it mean to know God? And really John explains it, but also, you know, it's that like close communion, that love to know Christ is to keep his commands. And Amanda, what you're saying is that we can know God by his word, by his special revelation, by his general revelation, by his spirit. But it's interesting that that language is used over and over again, and it's worth paying attention to. It keeps going in this next passage as we start in verse 7. Oh, yeah, I'll read that. So in verse 7, it says, and I'm so used to the ESV that I'm going to have to hear it in the CSB, which is good for me. It's good to like hear it in an unfamiliar translation. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love God does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the father has sent his son as the world's savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. You're right, Amanda. That's a lot of no. Also, did you guys hear the echo of John three sixteen? Yeah. In verse 9, this is just like a little scripture party. Yeah. Should we, I mean, there's only a couple of verses left. Can I finish this out? The we'll, She Reads yeah. Truth podcast, a little scripture party. <laughs> Let me finish this out, the last few verses, and then we can talk. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world, in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Feels like a little mic drop there at verse 19. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We love because he first loved us. Why do we love? Why should I love this person? Because he first loved us. One of my favorite things in this study book And it actually has its roots in an older, like way back when study book from She Reads Truth is a flow chart of should I love my brother or sister in Christ? And it's tongue in cheek because yes, (laughs) but the the thing I love about it, the thing I love about it is that it acknowledges a lot of the excuses or even valid questions that we ask ourselves. Well, what if they've hurt me? 
And mm-hmm. what if I don't like them? But it just what continues. If I'm it continues with scripture to just lead us back to, yes, like love one another, love one another. Because and it's not, I don't love my brother or sister in Christ because they love me. I love my brother or sister in Christ because Jesus loves me. Mm-hmm. And that is counter to the way that the world operates. Mm-hmm. You know, um, unreciprocated love <laughs> is hard. And in the depth of the love that we're called to as believers isn't just limited to, you know, me telling my kids or my friend, I love you. It is loving in ways that the object of that love may never even know, you know, in the same way that God loves us so completely that we don't even know all the ways that he loves us. It's just really convicting. Let's throw that flow chart for those of you who have the study book, it's pages 56 and 57, but it's honestly like it, Amanda, like you said, it's a little tongue in cheek, but also it's not, it's founded in scripture and it's a gentle roundabout way of saying yes, but it's really beautiful. Let's throw that into the show notes so that folks can download it if they want to. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when we were creating it, I remember thinking through, you know, it's one of those things where John has an answer for everything, right? Like that was kind of the Mm -hmm. origin of it was like, oh man, every time you think there's like a, well, he doesn't mean those people. No, he does. Well, he doesn't Mm -hmm. mean love as much as it sounds. No, he means to love that much, you know, like, so yes, it is tongue in cheek, but it really is, you know, when you read these verses, they're very convicting. So lighthearted, but also like, wow, it really does kind of, it's a little bit of a wake up call. Well, and that just takes us right into, if we flip the page into tomorrow's reading, the day nine reading of the reading plan, 1 John 4, 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. So that's and it. by that, we don't mean sibling. <laughs> I mean, yes, also sibling, but this is just others, must love others. Yeah. And I think specifically he's talking about, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ. The church. Which is not yeah. a pass to not love, you know, your neighbor who's not a believer, but he's addressing a church. He's saying, you know, hey, mm-hmm. they should see the love in you first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spiritual siblings. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there are plenty, and like you're right, it's not a pass to love, well, they're not my brother or sister in Christ. Well, first of all, I want them to be, (laughs) and how Mm -hmm. are they going to know God's love if not through those of us who are found in Christ? But also, Scripture is full of admonition to love our neighbor, Mm -hmm. which is just Christ loved us while we were still sinners. Right. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Right. And when the definition of your neighbor is anyone that crosses your path in any way, well, that's pretty broad. You You know, Mm -hmm. like we are to love as Christ loves. Mm -hmm. Going back to sort of that verse 18 and 19 of chapter four, this is the first time in these letters that John introduces the word fear. And that has been something that has been really relevant to us as you know, those of us hosting this podcast and to our listeners and to the world, because this is sort of a fearful time, not sort of, it is, there's a lot to be afraid of. And 
to be reminded. I've been, you know, my pastor has been reminding us and we've been reminding each other that there is no fear in love and that perfect love casts out fear. These are very important times for us to be paying attention to that and asking, like, what does that mean right now? Not even right now, because this is a universal truth, but it also feels really relevant right now. Let's talk about that for a second. I think what he's doing here, he's specifically talking about the final judgment, right? Because he starts out by saying, in this love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. And then he says, there is no fear in love. What he's trying to say to his readers is, hey, Christ has paid the price. You don't have to worry about, you know, the day of judgment. You don't have to worry about God saying, you know, I was just kidding. No, I mean, it's been done. He's going to see you are now, he says it this way, he says, because as he is, so also are we in this world. We are Christ in the world. We have been given his righteousness. And so we don't have to have that fear. We can live our lives not worrying about, you know, death and that judgment. But I don't think that means that, oh, well, that's only applying to this. I think he's giving us a universal principle, right? He says, instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. I mean, if you take that big one out of the equation, right, your eternal destiny and the judgment of God, if you're no longer afraid of that, what else are you afraid of? Everything else mm-hmm. like pales in comparison to that. And so, you know, it's not to say that, you know, we never experience anxiety or anything, you know, obviously... You know, there are plenty of things that in the moment we can be afraid of, but it's talking about a lifestyle and a practice, right? Are we fearful people? Or are we people who walk with confidence because we know that the biggest questions in life have already been answered? And we know, you know, we have eternal life, which we read last week, you know, John says in his gospel, eternal life is to know God and his son, Jesus Christ. And it begins here and now, right? We're not, it's not just a future promise. It's also a promise we have right now. And so with that, because we know Jesus, because we know the Father, we don't have to be afraid of -hmm. anything. There's really nothing that, if that's settled, even death has no sting, right? As Paul says. Right. And it's walking not just with confidence in in the Lord, but with peace. You know, Jesus says, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, but as I give. And so we, it doesn't mean, I mean, I think sometimes we can read a verse like that in isolation and think that, okay, fear equals bad. (laughs) And I think what you're saying is right, John, it's more than that. It's not like, okay, it's not being naive and saying that, oh, there's nothing to fear. Like, you know, in our current context, when we're recording that, it doesn't mean, well, that virus can do nothing to me because I am hidden in Christ. Well, it's bigger than that. It means that there's nothing that this world can do to me or my body that changes my peace and security in Jesus. Yeah. The promise is eternal life. And the one that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And John, like you said, eternal life is right now. And and continuing. I want to, like, what you said, Amanda, maybe I've, in this time, I've heard, I've seen people kind of use this passage as a little bit of a weapon, right? They'll say something like, well, I'm not afraid. I'm not going to change anything about the way I'm living because I'm a Christian and I don't fear. 
as if that's what this is saying, and it's not, right? It's not saying we live recklessly. It's not saying we just throw wisdom out the window. It's not saying that we don't take something as seriously as, you know, a pandemic. Seriously, we just, despite all those things, as we're being careful, as we're being wise, as we're doing what we can to love our neighbors, we're also not afraid, right? We don't spend our lives, we're not staying inside because we're afraid, we're staying inside out of love. We need to, you know, like, it's sort of a, it's a good reminder that when you hear scripture, right, it could be quoted accurately, you know, all the words could be right. But if it hits you like a weapon, take a second look, right? Is this really what's being said here? Because sometimes God does rebuke us with his word, but more often than not, you know, these passages are to encourage us, to point us to Christ, not to shame us. Well, and God's rebuke through his word is in love. Right. It is is love from us. And so what this passage, the word drives, you know, sticks out to me because it really is kind of to play on that word, it is what is driving us as believers. Fear does not get to drive us. Love drives us and love drives Mm -hmm. out fear, right? So we are to, everything for the believer comes down to love and not in a naive sing-songy way, like in a gritty, real, profound way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think about the nurses and doctors right now who like they need perfect love to drive out fear right now. And like they are acting in love by dutifully serving people and putting themselves at risk. But Amanda, like you said, it's not sing-songy, it's gritty. Right. And in God, love and wisdom are not divorced. Um, right. God is love. God is wisdom. And so mm-hmm. we are not used to thinking that way. And mm-hmm. so for us, it can often seem that, the loving action and the wise action are opposite. And in our human limitation, that's the way it can seem, but that's not true of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a, you know, if you just put yourself in the shoes of someone who doesn't know, doesn't know the truth, who isn't walking with the Lord, who maybe doesn't understand the world that Scripture reveals, then it sort of does make sense to be afraid because... If this is all there is, then the greatest thing you can do is preserve your life as long as possible and enjoy your life as much as you can, right? Because this is all we get. YOLO. You know, in Scripture, we have the the veils pulled back, and we know there's more to this world than just what we see. There's more to our life than just earthly existence we have for 70, 80 years, whatever it is. And so we don't have to be afraid, right? This is not all there is. This is not the end, and this is our purpose is not just to enjoy ourselves, right? Our purpose is to know God. And it goes back to, you know, this is the command that John keeps talking about. Is this our key verse? I think this is our key verse, right? First John 3.23. This is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. That's it, right? Believe there is stronger than just like, oh, I believe in Jesus. It's, no, no, I trust him. I give my whole self to him. I put my everything that is in me, I give to him, and I surrender my life and love one another as he commanded us. And how did he command us? We just read it, right? To lay down your life for others, right? So it's the same, self-giving. This is it. This is what we're here for. This is how, this is what the Christian life looks like. If you had to sum it up in a sentence, the Christian life, according to John, this is one verse right here. It's, (laughs) It's a lot. I mean, it takes a lifetime to unpack. Yeah. And what a comfort in a time when, you know, if all there is is to preserve our life as long as possible and enjoy it as long as possible, well, we're living in a time right now where both of those things are threatened severely. Mm -hmm. And what 
peace. I mean, my prayer is that that drives men and women and children around the world to somehow know, you know, the Mm -hmm. one who offers peace far beyond and joy far beyond Mm -hmm. the simple like preservation of ourselves. Yeah. And like it gives you that sense of urgency all the more that people would know him, that people would have that peace, not just, well, I have that peace. And so I'm going to stay home out of love for my neighbor and not be afraid because I have eternity with Christ. But like, there's something more. There's the like, I want that for other people. I want them to know that peace and that love and have that eternity. Yeah. I think this is one of those, you know, people ask, you know, what do you think is going to happen? And I don't know. I don't know the answer, but I do know that God often works in hard times, hard periods of history. And the result is often a revival, often kind of a renaissance of what we know to be true, that it becomes a new start for many people, right? These moments, they kind of cause you to go like, wait, why am I living this way? What am I doing? What do I actually believe? And they start investigating. At the same time, more people are praying, right? And praying, you know, it's a good thing, right? We're drawing close to God. We're asking, we're communing with him. And so like my hope is as this, you know, as we kind of continue through this, uncertain period that the end result is we will look back on this being a turning point in history where things began to change and the world began to more actively reflect God's kingdom. So we'll see. Mm -hmm. I mean, I want to be an optimist. Mm -hmm. Let's keep reading. We're still in the day nine reading, but now beginning first John chapter five, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of Him. This is how we know that we love God's children, when we love God and obey His commands. That's interesting. We love God's children by loving God and obeying His commands. Hmm. Verse 3, For this is what love for God is, to keep His commands. And His commands are not a burden, because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Um, And then it keeps going in the heading is the certainty of God's testimony. Verse five, who is the one who conquers the world, but the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God, Jesus Christ. He is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three are in agreement. If we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater, because it is God's testimony that he has given about his son. The one who believes in the son of God has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. The one who has the son has life. The one who does not have the son of God does not have life. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you believe this is true? I do. There are so many assurances. I know that I know kind of said that. The books of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John are full of assurances, but I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Also, I love John's use of colons, which is probably not what he used. Like, that's probably not the Greek, but there's like the CSB and I think the ESV too, that use of like, this is the victory that has conquered the world, colon, our faith. Like, it's just like, I 
just don't want to be unclear. It also feels a little bit like there's so much that John is repeating in this letter. I mean, it's a short letter, but the themes, it's almost like a record just keeps spinning and listening over and over. It's like, I'm just going to keep, I'm going to keep saying the same thing in lots of different ways because I want you to get it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is, I mean, you finish chapter five, verse 14, we get it again about effective prayer. It says in verse 14, this is the confidence we have before him, colon. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I just love it. John is my new favorite clear speaker and writer. And then verse 15, and if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Hey, let's unpack that. (laughs) This is another one, right? That people take and they go, you know, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. Which sounds to me like if I Like pray, we can strong arm the Lord. Right. Like if I pray according to his will, so something that, you know, I know God wants, that I've got it. And, you know, we know from experience that's not really the case, right? There's plenty of people who have been praying for a lost loved one, and God says clearly, right, I long for all people to come to knowledge of salvation. Is it in God's heart to bring suffering to the innocent? No, of course not, right? So... But we know that this world is broken and those things happen. So what's happening here? What is John really promising? I think what's going on is he's talking about God's ultimate will, right? Like we know where this world is Mm -hmm. going. And then we pray toward that. No matter what happens here, we know we have it because there is coming a day when Christ will return and make all things new, when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. So there's some mystery. Like we don't know how all the pieces are going to work out. And I'm certainly not saying don't pray with faith for specific things. Mm-hmm. What I am saying is God is faithful despite what we may experience in the moment. Yeah, it's one of those challenging things that you read this and it seems like, well, that can't be true. But then when you take a step back, you're like, oh, it may not be true the way I want it to be exactly, but I know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. So everything that God is bringing, God is using the brokenness of the world. He's taking the twisted nature of the lives that we all live, and he's making something good and beautiful out of them. So at the end, he'll be able to say, behold, I have made all things new. There'll mm-hmm. be no more grief, no more crying, no more mourning. And so that's, you know, it's this mystery, this beautiful mystery that we can still be certain about. Hey friends, Rachel here. I wanted to take a quick moment out of this episode to tell you about one of our sponsors, Skylight Frames. You may have heard Amanda mention Skylight last week. She loved giving that frame to her mom so much that I decided to give one to my mom too. If you're looking for a meaningful and purposeful gift for Mother's Day this year, make sure you check out Skylight Frames. Even though I'm not able to visit my mom right now, Skylight makes connecting with my family easy and fun. If you don't know, Skylight is a touchscreen photo frame that you can email photos to anytime from anywhere. Plus, multiple people can send pictures to the frame, so it's a great way to connect the whole family. As a special Mother's Day offer, you can get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com truth and enter the code truth. That's right. Get $10 off your purchase of a Skylight Frame by going to skylightframe.com truth and enter code truth. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash truth. Now back to the show. I was talking to a friend the other day about just the state of the world right now and that everyone is affected by this right now. I feel a strange 
in that I've never really felt it before, but a certain kind of camaraderie with people across the world in like a way that I don't know that I've ever felt that. Right. And we all have a common foe right now. And I want us all to win. Right. I want us all to defeat that foe. But in a time like this, where we are in a new way aware of one another's burdens or suffering, I just have to believe because God's word teaches us so that God is, I don't know if it's theologically correct to say that God is, you know, more or less at work at different times, but I just feel like there is such an undercurrent of God working in the lives of his people and God redeeming that it feels like there's so much to be redeemed right now. And I know that it's probably just because we're more aware of it, that the Mm -hmm. world is no more or less broken now than it was a month ago. But I just, I wish that we had, right. And I wish that we had eyes to see and know just how busy God is redeeming and making beautiful, Mm -hmm. so much brokenness because the brokenness is real and the suffering is real. And it's not, you know, I struggle with this conversation sometimes because I don't ever want to say it's hard as someone who suffers. It's hard to hear other people use language. Well, here's how your suffering is going to be worth it. Right. Or here's how the suffering of your loved one is going to be worth it. But the truth of the gospel is that we don't operate that way, but God does. And it's not, you know, the worth it language falls short. But scripture clearly teaches us that God redeems our broken. He's making all things new. Right. That he's making all things new. And so I just feel like there's, and you talked about revival, John, like I hope that is the result of that stirring that I just sense that the Lord is doing in spite of and through the circumstances that we're in right now. It's hard to talk about. Even those words, I'm like, are those the right words to talk about? I don't know. I know. It's I don't hard. Know. There's it's grace hard. for that. Speaking of hard things, the last section of First John, <laughs> like speaking of things that like we would rather skirt past because we do not understand them. Verse 16. Let's read, let's read the rest of chapter five. I'll read this and I'll read it knowing that I don't have to understand or explain this, but... In verse 16, it says, If anyone sees a fellow believer committing a sin that doesn't lead to death, he should ask, and God will give life to him, to those who commit sin that doesn't lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I am not saying he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin that doesn't lead to death. I don't understand that. I need another diagram. I'm going to keep reading through the end of the chapter. Verse 18 says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin, but that the one who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one. That is, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. Do you believe this is true? I do. Thanks be to God. That is the end of the book of First John. And that last sentence, that last verse just slays me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. Yeah. I feel like every section 
it could be a mic drop, right? But especially right. at the end, it's like, yeah. I don't understand the thing about the sin leading to death and the sin not leading to okay. death. Well, let's talk about is it. Is there something to understand there? Yeah. There's always hard, something to understand, yeah, right? Yeah, this is a notoriously hard <laughs> passage, and I'll kind of explain. There's three different ways that, you know, we could look at this. One of them is, so if you remember in Acts, right, Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira do something pretty horrible. They sell a piece of land, and then they take the proceeds. They keep some of it from themselves. They bring a small portion or a portion of it, and they lie and say, this is the whole amount we got, and they bring it to the church. And they, they're struck dead. And Peter says, you haven't lied to men but to the Holy Spirit. And so that was a sin that led to death. So mm. were Ananias and Sapphira believers? As far as we know, there was nothing in the text prior to that that indicates they were faking it or they didn't really believe, but they sinned and God said, that's enough. We see this again in the Old Testament as well, you know, where the Israelites will do something and God will, you know, send a plague or the earth will open up and swallow people whole. Those things happen, right? And it's not that we don't know necessarily whether a person's salvation is in question. It's really just talking about death. So that may be what's going on here. If somebody commits a sin that leads to death, John's saying, there's no point in praying. God's already made his decision. I don't know if that's the way to read it, because how do we know that until the person has died? That seems a weird thing. That's one way. That's one way people read this. The other way is to think about death in the spiritual sense. And so they go back to what Jesus says in the Gospels about the unforgivable sin. I'm just going to read you from Matthew. This is Matthew chapter 12, starting at verse 22. This is the ESV. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, to Jesus, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? skip down to 28. It says, but if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, the kingdom of God has come upon you. And then skipping down again to verse 31. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So it's like hard words, right? So what Jesus says there is he's telling the Pharisees, be careful, because those who, who see the work of God and attribute it to Satan, you're in danger because you're taking yeah. you know, these miracles, these signs, these healings, these are evidence of God's work on earth. And you're saying, that's not God, that's the enemy. And so you're in spiritual trouble. I don't think it means that it's not like a well, I'm sorry, it's a technicality. You've now committed the unforgivable sin, so you're out. What he's saying is that doing that, attributing to Satan what is God's, is the same spirit that is going to keep you from accepting the gift of grace, right? If you see God's work as the devil's, right, your heart is not going to be open to receiving the grace of God. And that's what he's warning them about. He's going, hey, be careful. You are getting to a place where, look, anything will be forgiven you, but if you harden your heart and you get to a place where you can no longer receive God's grace, there's no hope for you because this is the only way of salvation. Um, and it's so interesting. Yeah. Like, don't call holy things evil. Right. And 
at the same time, we talked when we were reading Jeremiah, about, like, don't call evil things holy. Like right. when we were, you know, with the false prophets and, you know, that truth adjacent and that danger of calling something that is evil, calling that good and true. And there's this caution on the other side now of don't call the good, true, holy thing evil. Right. Because that's what the Pharisees were Those doing. Those are the guardrails. Yeah, the Pharisees, they were they saw Jesus heal this man who was oppressed by a demon, and they immediately went, well, he must be in league with the devil if he's able to do it. And so it's the nice. So what John is saying here could be that. He could be saying, hey, when you see somebody who is committing a sin that has now hardened their heart beyond God's grace, don't even bother praying for them. Again, I have a hard time with that because it's hard to know who those people are, you know? God knows. I don't know that we will. What I think is going on, this is like the third option, this is the one I think is right, is again, we're talking in this letter, he's writing to a church where people have left and they're now teaching heresy, they're now teaching things that are opposed to Christ, they're anti-Christ, he says earlier, right? I think he's talking about these people. He's saying they know the truth. We're not praying for their eyes to be open, their hearts to be open. Their hearts were open, their eyes were opened, but they've rejected it. They've now moved to a place where they're opposed to Christ. And in that sense, that's a sin that leads to death. I think that's what he's saying. He's saying, you know, it's not saying don't pray for the lost. He's saying don't pray for the people who knew the truth and walked away. Know what is true and reject right. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because it leads you to verse 18, which is like, if anyone who has been born of God does not sin, or ESV says does not keep on sinning, which I think that means like it's because we know, like I've been born of God and I still need Jesus. Like there's that thing that we've been talking about very much, especially leaning into Holy Week and coming out of it that we are still in need of Christ to impute his righteousness to us because we are still sinners saved by grace. But it's that does not choose to continue in sin. Is that right, John or Amanda? Well, I just feel like it's a, when we read this, my tendency is to think of like, oh, but there are sins that I really struggle with. And it's not, you know, like I struggle with, not exhibiting patience toward my children, you know, something like that. But I feel like here what it's talking about is if you are in Christ, we are to be, it's a different pathway. We are still sinners Mm -hmm. on that pathway, Mm -hmm. but it is the pathway of righteousness. Like we've been reading all through these books that this language of knowing God and walking in the light. So to me, it's that it's akin to this conversation that we've that John was just leading us in, where it's a choice to walk in the dark. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's what would you say, John? <laughs> no, I think you're right. I think it's a lifestyle. Right? He's talked a lot about walking in darkness, walking in light. You know, he's talked about being a child of the devil, being a child of God. In chapter three, he said, "Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness." So it's this idea of like practicing it, right? It's the direction of your heart. It's not saying that, hey, if you struggle with a particular sin, I'm sorry, you're out. It's saying, you know what, where is your heart in this? Are you still leaning on God day by day? Are you still, are you actively pursuing holiness? Are you actively loving your neighbor? Are you actively doing those things that scripture says reveal you to be like Christ? Um, It's the, are you calling sin, sin, and then repenting of it? Right. I mean, there's plenty of people, we all know people that love the Lord and for whatever reason, like I'm thinking of, you know, the late Brendan Manning, right? Like I love the Ragamuffin Gospel is one of my favorite books. And, you know, he struggled with alcoholism his entire life, right? And I don't think he ever said, oh, I'm free of this. Like, I mean, his entire life he struggled with this. And 
you know, I don't think he didn't love the Lord. I don't think he, you know, arrived and Jesus said to him, oh, I'm sorry. Like, you didn't quite figure it out. No, I don't think that's it at all. I think every day he leaned on God's grace. Every day he turned to the Lord. Every day he confessed his sin and repented. And so I don't think it's a matter of not sinning, right? Like, you know, getting to the place. If you're doing that, what does it say earlier? If we say we have no sin, we are a liar, right? So John's yeah. pretty clear that it's not about saying we have no sin. What it is, is it's about, is it your lifestyle? Do you like, is this how you live? Or is your lifestyle righteousness and you've tripped? So I think that's the, this word here is a good, like, reminder to kind of check yourself, but it's not a weapon. It's not supposed to hit you over the head and make you feel the shame and guilt because Christ has taken your sin. So just know that and do it, do what first John one nine says, right? If we confess our sins, just do that. Yeah. And I don't feel like it's a mistake that he ends this book with verse 21. It says, little children guard yourselves from idols. Yeah. I think all of this conversation is a good kind of case in point for why we don't have to be afraid of scripture, that when we don't fully understand something, that it's okay, A of all, that that's okay, <laughs> and B of all, that we can lean in and press into that, and we don't have to be afraid of that, because every difficult passage does not come to us in isolation. It comes to us packaged in the whole of Scripture, and we have... Mm-hmm the privilege of reading the full canon of scripture. And so I love that in this tough conversation where we're just like, well, this could mean lots of different things, but any of those options is tough. You know, it's a tough read, but I love that the supplemental passage for this day is a passage that we've referred back to a few times in this conversation, John three sixteen and specifically 17 for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. We can surmise about this passage in First John and do our best to understand it, and we should. But what we can't do and what we won't do is separate it from passages like that in John 3, where... God's very clear. God's word is very clear. So let's keep going. Let's move on to 2 John. Ray, I think you're up. Right. You got your reading guys hat on. 2 John is only 13 verses, and I'm just going to read it right now. We're going to read a whole chapter of Scripture, a whole book of Scripture. We're going to use the word lady a lot, which I'm looking forward to. I was going to say, before we start, can we talk about that? It's addressed to the elect, to the elect lady. lady. I love that. I mean, it's talking about the church. Who is yeah? the elect lady? It's, it's the your church. dog, Rachel. It's, it's lady. It's my dog, lady. Yeah. The elect. Yeah. <laughs> Guarantee it's not. It's a poetic way of talking about a church. The church, um, yeah. And he's yeah. also going to use the word dear lady. It's going to mm. be good. Okay, so just as I read, lady is the term he's using, sort of an affectionate term yeah. for church. And so the heading here is greeting. It says, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that remains in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. And then the main meat of this letter is headed truth and deception. It says, verse 4, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth in keeping with the command we have received from the Father. 
So now I ask you, dear lady, not as if I were writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commands. This is the command, as you have heard it from the beginning, colon, that you walk in love. Verse 7, many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so you don't lose what you have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home and don't greet him. For the one who greets him shares in his evil works. And then the farewell, verse 12. Though I have many things to write to you, I don't want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister send you greetings. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to Thanks God. Thanks be to God. He did that thing like he did in chapter 21 of the Gospel of John. I have many other things I could say, mm-hmm. but I'll just tell you in person. Mm-hmm. I bet you John he really, I feel left out. Yeah. I feel left out. Okay, thoughts on this one. Thoughts on Second John before we move on to Third John. I like verse 6. If we were diagramming, verse 6 would mm-hmm. be like a circle because you've got this is love that we walk according to his commands. This is the command, as you've heard it from the beginning, that you walk in love. <laughs> oh, look <laughs> so at that. Like they would just point to each other in which... Makes me scratch my head a little, but also, mm-hmm. you know, it is both a little bit confusing, but also a lot bit clarifying that this... The command is walk in love and love is walking in his commands. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. That's cool. I love just prior to that in verse five, you know, so on the page, we've got a gospel connection. And I love that in the gospel of John, Jesus says, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. But by the time... Second John is written, he's saying, John says, so now I ask you, dear lady, not as if I were writing you a new command, <laughs> but one we have had from the beginning that we love one another. So now it's not a new command anymore, right? Now this is, this is just part and parcel of living the Christian life. So yeah. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Because that's who Jesus is. Yep. God is love. The son is love. And so that command's not going to change. Nope. But it went from being a new command to being an old command. And that's cool. Yeah. I'm glad it's an old command. I wish that we had all the time in the world, but if we don't get to Third John right now, we're never going to get to her. I know, and we're doing a thing where we're reading them all, and so we're we trying to, to read the whole thing. We have to stick the landing here. We never could have done this in Jeremiah. Imagine if we had read. We're like, we're going to read the whole book of Jeremiah on air. It'll be fun. Okay, who's up, Amanda? Do you want to read Third John? I'm happy to. This one is addressed to a specific person. So, the first two are addressed to a church. Right. Well, the first one isn't addressed at all, remember? It's like oh, it just right. starts, right? So You're that's right. what I'm saying. This could be, I said in the last episode, it could be that First John was a sermon to be read, Second okay, John was the right. letter that went with it, and Third John is a personal note. Okay, so this is a personal letter to Gaius. First one, the elder, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you are prospering in every way and are in good health just as your whole life is going well. For I was very glad when fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity to the truth, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear that my children are walking in truth. 
Dear friend, you are acting faithfully in whatever you do for the brothers and sisters, especially when they are strangers. They have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, since they set out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from pagans. Therefore, we ought to support such people so that we can be co-workers with the truth. Verse 9, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have first place among them, does not receive our authority. This is why, if I come, I will remind him of the works he is doing, slandering us with malicious words. And he is not satisfied with that. He not only refuses to welcome fellow believers, but he even stops those who want to do so and expels them from the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Everyone speaks well of Demetrius, even the truth itself. And we also speak well of him. And you know that our testimony is true. I have many things to write to you, but I don't want to write to you with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends send you greetings. Greet the friends by name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. It's such a sweet letter. Yeah. Like the letter. dear friend, the repetition of the dear friend. It almost feels like here is, you know, we've been talking about love your brothers and sisters in Christ, not to the exclusion of loving your neighbors, but, you know, also love your brothers and sisters in Christ, that this letter feels like an act of love. Like it's written, it is a, it's written in love. It, it is a friendly letter, but it does have a distinct lack of elect lady. So, I, you know, <laughs> I do miss the elect lady, but I love the inclusion of specific names. Like yeah. I'm writing, yeah. he's writing to Gaius, to a specific person. And then he mentions mm-hmm. this troublemaker, Diotrephes, who's like, listen, I want to be clear about what he's doing. And if I get there, I'm going to remind him myself. But then mm-hmm. I love this, what's said about Demetrius Everyone speaks yeah. well of Demetrius, even the truth even itself. The truth itself. I mean, what? that feels important. That's high praise. And Demetrius is like, hey, make sure that makes it in your final copy <laughs> of this letter. <laughs> that's incredible. And then he ends it in 15. He says, greet the friends by name. I think that's sweet, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice and personal. It's nice to remember that this church that John is writing to in, you know, the first John and second John, and then that Gaius is a part of a church that is made of real people who lived in real space and time and yeah. who were experiencing life. And they were learning the gospel. They were learning what it meant to walk in light of the gospel. And I mean, that's what we're doing. Yep. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. There's a, it's this interesting, like, you know, he doesn't use the same hard language that he used in First John to talk about those who left the church who are now teaching false doctrine. And he just says about Diotrephes, that is why if I come, I will remind him of the works he is doing, slandering us. So there's a sense in which John says, well, if I remind him, if I tell him again how this does not align with the truth, that will be effective, right? There's this, mm-hmm. and so it's a different kind of, but the issue seems to be that, you know, missionaries were coming and... Gaius was being hospitable. He's saying, you know, you welcome these people. But Diotrephes was not. And also, like, if anybody did and he found out about it, he tried to get them expelled from the church. 
So this is a, a very practical letter, right? It's like, nope, that's not appropriate. This is, mm-hmm. they are your brothers and sisters. And when they come, you know, love them like you would your brother or sister. John is the, you know, he says, you know, be co-workers in the truth, but like he is a worker in the truth. Like he's setting about the work of guarding the truth and reminding people what is true and pointing out what is not true. And he's inviting people to be co-workers with him. He's inviting us to be co-workers in the truth. And I made the joke that, you know, the three of us are co-workers in the truth because we work at She Reads Truth. But we as believers, everyone listening who for whom Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, like we are co-workers in the truth. And it is our right and our duty and our privilege to know what is true, to remind each other what is true and to point out what is not true. And in that, all be linking arms all over the globe and be co-workers in the truth, not because of a sense of elitism, but because of a heart for the gospel and exactly who Jesus is for out of love, which is what these letters are calling us to, which is the summary of everything. Amen. Let's go. Yeah. And to bring glory to the name of Jesus and to God by, you know, scripture often calls us to testify to what we have seen and to tell, like tell our children, tell the generations that follow to pass this gospel message to others. And so it is not limited to a platform or to a position of leadership within the church body. It is the job of every member of the capital C church, that is the church throughout history and around the world to be co-workers in the truth, in the gospel. And not only is it not limited to a platform, but be cautious of the platform. Be cautious of that. The platform is one place, but it is not even like the first place. Nope. Like the first place is right in our homes and in our neighborhoods, on our streets, in our churches. That's where we are co-workers in the truth. Yeah. It's this, like what John has said twice now at the end of these letters. I have many things to write you, but I don't want to write you with pen and ink. I want to see you face to face. And we so often downgrade or downplay the importance of the face to face because that's Mm -hmm. one person. Like I'm speaking Mm -hmm. to one person and we hold on the pedestal, the platform and the like, writing it down in pencil and ink in book form or on social media or whatever. And that is, I mean, granted, John didn't have social media or printed books, but it's the face-to-face is where transformations happen and where we communicate the love of God. And honestly, like that is my beauty, goodness, and truth for this week, like the face-to-face. And I think maybe because we're so keenly aware of how starved we are for it, But my beauty, goodness, and truth for this week is that Amanda pulled into my, I was taking the trash out and I've been quarantined for days and days and days and days and days. And Amanda pulled into my driveway and I saw her car and didn't recognize it and just like couldn't place it. And she got out and she stayed so far away from me, but she dropped off a present. And it was like, I think my immediate thing that I said was, you're a sight for sore eyes. Like Mm -hmm. it was so good. And we can see each other on Zoom calls. But I just like to see my friend in the flesh made me want to cry. It was so sweet. And like there is something about seeing the people that you love and seeing their faces. I haven't seen my sister yet. Um, I haven't seen my mom yet. But it was so good, Amanda, to see your face. And if I can like just roll us straight into beauty, goodness, and truth, like that was that for me this week. Can I 
I was going to say something I saw it, John, because we're on Zoom. Like, as yeah. I started saying that, you had made like, I a, I give you the fish like a foiled. Like, oh. <laughs> no, um, well, it kind of connects to what Amanda was saying and also what you just said. You know, like one of the things I think this whole time that we've been in for the last few weeks has kind of revealed is that platforms are great. It's really fun to see, you know, different people that, you know, the whole world knows or celebrities or whatever. Now, you know, I just think of Jimmy Fallon doing the Tonight Show from home and that's kind of, it's fun and it's, it's a good relief. But really the people who are making the biggest difference right now are the people that we will never know their names, right? All the doctors and yeah. nurses, all the faithful people delivering packages because we can't leave the house, that kind of thing. All the people at the grocery store and the pharmacy. Yeah, all the people at the grocery store. And, you know, we don't know their names. They don't have a platform, but they're really doing something that... So I hope when we leave this season, when life gets a little bit back to normal, like we don't forget that, that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't somebody from Hollywood or some billionaire who helped. It was the person down the road who went and got your groceries for you. So, yeah, connected to that, my beauty, goodness, and truth is along those lines, Lauren has been doing this amazing thing because there's been a shortage of masks for hospital workers and doctors there's kind of a movement going on. I don't know if you've seen this, but it's the million mask movement where anybody with a sewing machine mm -hmm. can make a mask. There's a pattern that you can download online and you can start making masks. And so she's one of many, many, many people who are just from home making one at a time, making masks and sending them to people in need. And so again, it's like, there's no platform for that. There's no money being made. It's really just a small, like, Hey, I have a sewing machine and I have a little bit of skill with this. I can do this. And it's just amazing to see people step up like that. So I just think that's, it's beautiful. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, just hearing you guys talk, it brings to mind so many different, even if I just think of the last handful of days, you know, there's the woman in my mom's church who she's single and doesn't have any children. And so she feels like her burden is for, the older women and men in her church who are more at risk and can't leave their homes. And so she's calling them, my mom included, and saying, like, what do you need from the grocery store? What can I bring you? And so she's kind of volunteering as tribute, right, to go and do the things that they can't do on their behalf. And that's so, I don't know her name and she doesn't know me, but her ministry to my mom is ministering to me mm -hmm. because I can't do that for my mom because I have, you know, an at-risk person in my home with our son and then, and her. And so I'm trying, we're trying to do the best we can to keep them both safe and at a distance. But yeah, I just spent, you know, in the middle of this, spent some time in the hospital with him and he's doing great. We're back at home now, but just seeing firsthand the smiles on the faces of these men and women who are coming to work every day, not knowing how this is going to change and how rapidly it's going to change or, you know, how it might affect them and their health down the line. But they are just showing up and doing the job that they've done. You know, healthcare is not new. They've been doing this. It's just that now we're all looking at them and noticing the thing that they've been doing all along. And, mm -hmm. and so just to watch them care for my son sometimes by staying out of the room and talking to mm -hmm. us from the door or sometimes coming in and giving him a hug because they just can't resist <laughs> because you know mm -hmm. just love is so it looks so many different ways right now 
I have another friend who is a nurse in a different city who has made the decision to not live where her children are living right now because she's a healthcare worker and she doesn't want to compromise her children or the people she's caring for. So she's like the best choice for me and my family right now is for them to stay, you know, with a family member and for me to just be working. And I mean, it's like we keep saying like love looks so many different ways, but it all looks like Jesus, like laying down our lives for others. I want to close this week's episode actually with a quote that is at the back of our book because it feels so relevant to us talking about love not beginning on a platform but beginning in our daily lives. And so this is from D.L. Moody. It just says, If we have got the true love of God shed abroad in our hearts, we will show it in our life. We will not have to go up and down the earth proclaiming it. We will show it in everything we say or do. I love that word from D.L. Moody. I love you guys. I'm grateful for the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We will see you guys next week. Believe it or not, we are going to start a new series. We will be starting a series on the promises of God. It'll be three weeks, and I can't believe we get to begin a three-week study on the promises of God. The timing of that is incredible, and so it's just so timely, and so I'm really looking forward to that. So guys, come back next week. We'll start week one of that. Thank you for joining us. John, until next week, what do we say? Keep opening your Bibles.